Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the sixth Bob Pritchard Radio Show for 2015. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And I'm pleased to say that I've just signed with World Talk Radio to present the Voice America Business Network Bob Pritchard Radio Show for another 12 months. So you're stuck with me till next February. Now, this program's all about helping entrepreneurs to be successful. We'll continue to bring you advice that, um, and great interviews throughout the year to help you maximize your success. We also have another great interview for you this week, an extraordinary story about an entrepreneur that just four months ago was living in a very small room in Hong Kong with no windows, a little box, and now runs a company valued at about $170 million. Stay tuned for that interview because it just shows what anybody can achieve, anyone, if you've got vision, planning, commitment, and tenacity, you'll win. I saw a great story today about a nine-year-old who is, um, has got a program on the internet, and he's nine, and he's making one million bucks a year at nine. I'll talk to you about that next week. I love the commercial with Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric um, on the Super Bowl, which was the 20-year flashback for BMW i3. Uh, where Bryant was asking, it was taken from 20 years ago or 25 years ago when Bryant was saying, what is the internet? Can anybody tell me what the internet is? So it had me thinking about 20 years into the future from now. It's pretty exciting and pretty intimidating to think that they predict the standard office is going to feature holographs, 3D printers, robots, drones, and mind control technology, all of those things will be standard in an office within 20 years. And they say that the predictions are reasonable, even conservative, despite being beyond most people's imagination. They suggest that looking at how digital currency, 3D printing and touchscreen technologies involved in just the last couple of years, that the biggest change to the workforce is going to be the use of holographic technology. Skype doesn't really cut it. People want to look into other people's eyes when you're discussing and negotiating things. So to really improve communication, we'll use holographs to allow companies to call on a remote workforce and people that they want to talk to as if they were there, being able to look them eye to eye. It's, they reckon that it's reasonable to expect that officers will make use of thought activation and mind control technologies and uh, you'll be able to have chips embedded in your body that will help you to communicate and help you regulate your health and whatever. Tiny robots known as nanobots will crawl through your veins and perform maintenance to your body as you go, and uh, corporations will pay for this so that they can keep you healthy, and you'll be, your brain's going to be integrated so that you'll be able to do many, many things just by thinking about it without having to actually do it. So that's pretty interesting. 
In the future, many businesses are also going to use digital currencies. There's going to be less and less dependence on currencies, curry, curry, country currencies, and more on business currencies. So you'll be paid by internet-based cryptocurrencies, which will be governed by independent bodies such as associations and corporations rather than governments. You think about it. Would you rather get payment in Apple currency right now or in Russian rubles? (laughs) I'll take Apple currency all day long. And any business, any business at all, will be able to make its own currency to buy and sell at values regulated by the market and the perceived value of the company. Wow, that makes for a pretty um, interesting and fascinating future, doesn't it? Remember a couple of years ago, Google Glass was the big thing? Well, Google Glass failed. Gone. We talk almost every week about the ingredients that we need to um, run a successful business. We talk about what causes businesses not to be successful. So what went wrong with Google Glass? Well, it wasn't the usual things like lack of capital and lack of talent. What sunk Google Glass was intrigue, a futuristic technology, a very secret laboratory, fashion models, skydivers, and an inter-office love triangle that entered ended a billionaire's marriage. You know, Google Glass just exploded into our consciousness with a kind of fuss that's usually reserved for an Apple product. And uh, from its unveiling in 2012, Google Glass was a gadget everyone had to have. At Metal, where um, I'm a member, every bastard seemed to be um, wearing Google Glass and you know, the first few times it looked pretty weird, and after that you got used to it. But it was the must-have toy that was going to set the gold standard for wearables. Time magazine named it the best invention of the year. It's got its own 12-page spread in vogue. The Simpson devoted a program to it called Oogle Goggles, and uh, Google Glass was featured on everything. It was on it. All of the television shows, it was a subject of skits on Saturday Night Live and the Colbert Report and millions of YouTube videos. Presidents from all over the world tested them. Prince Charles wore a pair. So did, you know, Beyonce and Jennifer Lawrence and Bill Murray and a whole bunch of others. They all had Google Glass. And the New Yorker ran a 5,000-word feature on them. Google Glass had arrived. Then last week, out of nowhere, Google announced that Glass was done. So, what the hell went wrong? Let's go back to the start. Google's founders and a handful of trusted executives came up with a list of 100 futuristic ideas. A lot of them were great, a lot of them were wacky, um, but the excitement was for a new genre of wearable computers that can be attached to the skin or worn like glasses. So in 2009, Google X Lab, which was a very top secret lab, found a covert home on the Google campus and nobody knew it was there. So the first project was born, this thing called Google Glass. Now, Sergey Brin, which was Google's co-founder, joined to help run Google 
X. He was married with two children. Now, that's not important at the moment, but it became very important. The Glasses Project stayed under wraps for more than a year. Every day, all the tens of thousands of Google employees would walk past and have absolutely no idea what was going on inside the secret laboratory. Then in 2011, the story broke about the secret Google X lab. And then a split formed between Google X engineers about the most basic functions of Google Glass. One faction argued it should be worn all day. It's something that should be permanently worn, while others thought it should be worn only for performing specific functions. And Bryn wanted all further work on glass to take place, not in a top secret lab, but in public. So Google decided not to sell the first version, but they limited it to glass explorers. That was anybody who would pay them 1500 bucks with the privilege of being an early adopter. And I knew a lot of people who paid them 1500 bucks, But the strategy backfired. The exclusivity added to the interest. It was fueled. Media outlets started clamoring for stories. And at the Google Developers Conference in June 2012, glass-wearing skydivers landed on the roof of the auditorium, raced across the roof on bikes and into the conference hall and they got thunderous applause. It was on everything, you might remember it. But this wasn't how glass was supposed to be introduced. It wasn't the quiet experiment that Google X engineers had hoped for. Now, tech reviewers who now finally had their hands on glass described it as the worst product of all time, noting that it had an abysmal battery life, and that it was a product that was plagued by bugs. So privacy concerns then started to get raised with people afraid of, you know, going to the bathroom and having a leak. It was banned from bars, it was banned from movie theatres, from casinos, and a whole bunch of other places that didn't want people surreptitiously recording everything. Then in 2014, this is where the sex part comes in, a scandal hit Google X Labs. A love affair had developed between Bryn and the marketing manager for Google Glass. So Bryn was leaving his wife and his kids for the marketing manager, who was in turn leaving her boyfriend, who was also at Google. And just to add to the complication, Bryn's wife was friends with a marketing manager that Bryn was leaving the wife for. <laughs> this, this is a movie. From there, Google Glass just seemed to wither away. It was bloody all in war. So early Google X employees left, and then Google became Google Glass became no more. But maybe not. Google's smart eyewear division says it will be redesigned, and it definitely won't be released to anyone until it's complete. So that's the book version. I'm waiting for the movie. Now, Apple seems to be at it again. Um, Apple Watchers say that Apple's taking another shot at map software or also possibly moving into self-driving cars. There's been a spate of very mysteriously decked out minivans, minivans, minivans roaming Northern California. They've got cameras mounted on all four corners of the luggage rack, looking very much like the technology that's used in mapping. 
and in self-driving cars. So while the self-driving car theory has everybody ultra-excited, it seems that the company has not been issued a permit that would allow it to test self-driving cars, making the mapping initiative probably much more likely. So you may remember Apple Maps, which led people into national parks 70 kilometres away from where they thought they they were, people in Alaska driving onto airport runways. <laughs> I, I remember getting halfway across the Sydney Harbour Bridge once and, and Apple Maps says, do a right turn. In 50 yards, do a right turn. I'm right in the middle of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and I've got you know, another mile to go before I can get off. So Apple was eventually forced to reinstate Google Maps on its devices. So while Apple Maps has made some great leaps forward, Google is still much more widely used and it provides Google with an enormous amount of data on users' whereabouts, which in turn allows for services that Apple just at the moment can't match. So it would make a lot of sense from a consumer and a business point of view for Apple to want to improve the accuracy, and it appears that might be precisely what they are beginning to do. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Los Angeles on Voice America Business. Now, for those of you around the country that are freezing in minus 20 and six feet of snow, it was 86 here today, absolutely beautiful. For those of you who... um, measure temperature in Celsius, that's about 28, I think. Um, Absolutely magnificent weather. The Bob Pritchard Radio Show is here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and uh, we will answer you as soon as we can, either on air or directly. We do get one hell of a lot of emails. So... um, I have people that that answer them for me. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is being sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries. I believe it's going out this week. So um, go to bobpritchard.com and enroll for the newsletter. And you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back after this break with my guest, William Nebrega an entrepreneur that has an absolutely amazing story to tell. It's incredible. From zero to $170 million in four months. Woo! So this is Bob Pritchard, live from Los Angeles, and I'll be back with William Nebrega in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. 
Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is Voice America Business Channel, and we're broadcast worldwide every week. And we're the number one radio show for entrepreneurs on the planet, and we're pretty proud of that. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people, people that are enjoying great success and are making a difference in the world. Entrepreneurs are the backbone of every economy on the planet. And the primary focus of this show is to assist all entrepreneurs to be more successful and to bring you the amazing stories of people who have overcome all of the challenges that every small business faces and they've created wonderful success stories against those odds. Being successful in business, which is testament for the 97% of businesses that fail, is very difficult and to achieve success is extraordinarily hard. Just five short months ago, William Nebrega was living in an oversized shoebox in Hong Kong. It was one small room with no windows, practically no furniture, no amenities. It was just a little box. Like many other entrepreneurs, William was highly qualified, got MBAs, a couple of universities, he's held key positions at Deloitte, he'd been a member of the Special Forces, but he'd just come out of a failed startup, which left him with no money, no assets, no credit cards. Now, I get contacted by people all day long that um, have lost money in startups, and uh, most of them go back to work and give up. But William didn't feel sorry for himself, despite a pretty wretched environment, and he spent his time evaluating opportunities. He looked at the procession of e-commerce companies that had disrupted legacy companies and had huge success doing it. Think about it. Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Uber, a whole raft of them have put legacy industries out of business and made phenomenal profits. So, William realised that when confronted with an e-commerce competitor, legacy companies simply cannot compete. So, William determined the next big legacy industry ripe for disruption was the insurance industry. This is a $4.5 trillion, trillion with a T, dollar a year industry. And it's the same now as it was 50 years ago. It is ripe for disruption. The world's changed dramatically, technology-wise, culturally, but insurance companies are still doing the same old things, selling the same outdated products. So let's recap. Just five months ago, William Nebrega, no funds, nor access to any, was living in a one-room box with no windows in Hong Kong. Today, five months later, he heads up a team of quite remarkable people. He's acquiring four major insurance brokers in Brazil and Argentina, with more on the way, 
and his company, CQS International, has a valuation nearing $170 million. Just five months ago, William was penniless. Now, if that's not an incredibly inspirational story for every entrepreneur out there who's got a vision and a passionate belief in their project, I don't know what is. It really is an example of where it's easier to do the impossible than it is to do the possible. I've actually got William Nebrega on the phone from his home in Florida. Hi, William. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be speaking with you. This is one hell of a story, a rags-to-riches story right up there with the likes of, I don't know, Branson, Walton, Larry Ellison. I'm thinking about um, John Paul Giorgio, who um, lived in his car until John Paul Mitchell made him a billionaire. Is there a, a, um, an entrepreneur that inspires you, somebody out there today that, or yesterday that you think, I'd really like to emulate that person? Well, I mean, if, if there's one person I'd love to meet, and certainly um, I, I don't even consider myself in the same uh, um, uh, class as him, is uh, Ian Musk. I mean, I think... Uh, Musk is incredible. I, yeah. He's done amazing you know, I mean, things. Yeah. But it's he not, really has. Yeah, I mean, it's not much different and, than... It's not much different than you, though. I mean, he started off, um, and he came up with several companies, Um without a lot of experience in them really and decided to just change them but that's not much different than what you've done with um with insurance yeah well it's true it's true um i I like the fact that what he's doing and i think what we're trying not trying what we're doing is he's making a difference in people's lives um obviously everything from uh you know electric cars to solar energy to commercial uh uh, space, uh, we're going to change the way insurance is, is viewed in emerging markets. Um, as you know, the penetration rate's roughly 5%. Uh, you have a lower middle class that's really never had access to any kind of insurance. Uh, we're going to change that. That gives us 2 billion consumers, and, um, and it changes the lives of many, many people for the good. It creates value. Uh, it creates value for their you know, future generations. It gives them a, a, a sense of security, safety, uh, things that they've never had before. So we're going to do that. Uh, as you pointed out, we've got the best team in the world. I, I'm second to none. Uh, I think I, what kept me going really was my experience in special forces. Uh, it was, uh, you know, um, that failure was not an option. We just didn't, uh, that was just built into our DNA. Yeah, uh, the same spirit flu- it flows through the team today. Um, and the other big inspiration is my son. You know, when things were really, really rough, he came to me and he said, "Dad, remember what you told me." I said, "What, son?" He said, "Never quit, never give up." Yeah. So, great that, advice. That's it. So, yeah, from a ten-year-old. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you so, know, and so we're, yeah. When you were when you were living in your cramped little box apartment in Hong Kong, um, that must have had a huge effect on the tremendous success you're enjoying now. What what did that period of time teach you? Uh, humility. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, so. Uh, and, and I think 
humility is probably the one of the most important values that a, su- a successful entrepreneur can have because it's not really what I've done. It's what the team has done. Uh, and, you know, of course, I help sh- shape the vision. That humility really keeps you balanced. Um, you know, I think, you know, you and I discussed this uh, offline a few times, but the reality is how many cars can you have, how many houses, it's not about the money. It's about creating something really, really unique and special and then giving back. And um, and I think that's and that's what this whole experience has taught me is that, you know, everyone can fall down. So, yep. you know, and it's pretty, pretty interesting to see how many friends you have when you lose everything. Yeah. Because they, they seem to disappear pretty quickly. But, you know, I mean, thank God. I mean, we, we've, you know, had some wonderful investors. Uh, we continue to bring in new investors. Uh, as you pointed out, this thing's moving faster than any of us could have ever, ever dreamed. And, you know, the end game will be somewhere in Asia, be China. Um, you know, there's no reason this could not be a $40 or $50 billion company. So, and uh, that's what we're going to shoot for. So you've got two subsidiaries. Kisaguru in South America and Insurance Buddha in Asia. So, why did you decide to focus first in the emerging markets and and what is the rollout schedule? Why wouldn't you say have thought? Well, I'll go into the US first. It's the world's biggest market. Well, the the, the beauty of the emerging markets is the low saturation rate penetration rates for insurance. So, like I said, it's less than five percent, whereas US is something like eighty five percent or so. Um, and um, there's a, a wonderful trend towards adapting, you know, uh, technology, mobile apps, uh, yeah, obviously internet. Uh, so we can leverage that, and at the same time, we're able to acquire traditional brokerage houses, which immediately gives us um, revenues, valuation, customer base, database, local expertise, and then put our technology platform on top of that foundation. And you really have a, a, a recipe for success. Well, one of the things that uh, I, I think many people listening to us that are in first world countries probably don't appreciate is that the uptake of particularly of mobile in emerging markets is much higher than um, than in many established markets. And not only that, they, they're much more adept at using them. They can they can do all sorts of things with it. Where a lot of people in the in the um, first world use them to make phone calls. Oh well, that's it. I mean, in in Brazil alone, there's about roughly 200 million people, but I believe there's something like 280 million um, mobile phones. So, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, the it, 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 the beauty of um, of mobile phones is it's allowed us to bypass that traditional infrastructure build out of fiber optics and, you know, uh, all the other stuff that would typically take years. So it's moving fast and furious. But to your point, um, insurance companies have traditionally completely ignored these micro-insurance products and, um, you know, the lower middle class, the inspiring middle class, which is really the largest, most exciting market out there. So, um, you know, and and the same holds true in Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, China, and uh, the lessons we learn in, in Latin America, you know, we will absolutely be able to apply um, into Asia. And capitalize on them. Well, uh, so you're in uh, Brazil. Uh, 
and Argentina. What's next in Latin America? Uh, Mexico, Colombia, and Peru. Okay, and Mexico. It's probably that old. Yes, Mexico's a great market, uh, good economy, um, obviously uh, becoming very internationalized in their, in their trade. Yeah. Very large middle class, you know, aspiring middle class. Uh, you know, we, as Americans, we only tend to hear the, you know, the, the negative stuff. The bad stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a fraction of what's going on in Mexico. And so it's a great market for us. We're going to get in there as quickly as possible as soon as we get Brazil and Argentina done over the next few months. And, uh, and then Colombia and Peru are also great markets. And after that, uh, it's uh, Asia bound. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how, how good Colombia is. Uh, we've still got um, images of all the drug wars and all that sort of stuff in our mind, but they're well gone, and Colombia's a booming economy. Oh, yes. You know, 6.5% GDP growth, fantastic middle class, absolutely beautiful country. Uh, it's, um, it, it's a great place uh, to be for insurance. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to get there. Now. Most entrepreneurs, when they're starting out, and I, I hear this all the time, you face two major challenges, and usually one of these two leads to the demise of the company. The first is funding. However, you know, and I speak to um, startups all the time who have been chasing funding for years without any success, and four months ago, you didn't have any money. And in just a couple of months, you were able to secure several million dollars. How did you do that? I mean, what sort of magic have you got that all those other entrepreneurs out there don't have? Well, I, I do believe there's a few miracles involved in this, and uh, you know, not, not to put a not to put a religious spin on it, but uh, there's clearly uh, other forces at work. And I'll give you two examples. I was broke. I was flying back home. And I got an email from a, 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 an entrepreneur and, um, or an investor in Australia. And he said, William, I've got $260,000. I want to invest it. I'm 65 years old. It's my life savings. Um, and I said, well, I said, I said, well, listen, you should really be looking at some conservative equities. You know, I can give you some ideas and then you can buy them through your broker. I'd be more than happy to do that. I said, but you really should be conservative. He said, William, I don't want to be conservative. He said, I want to take a risk. <laughs> and I said, I said, all right. I said, well, listen, you know, I'm starting this company. I thought I could give you a seat on the board, you know, some financial control. I said, but I'm going to be perfectly transparent with you. Could lose it all, you know. Right. Um, and uh, the second one uh, was, of course, uh, besides living on the, in, the, in the shoebox in Hong Kong, I was also living on my mother's couch. <laughs> uh, with my 10-year-old son. And I got a Skype, an email from a guy from China or Hong Kong and said, Mr. Nobre, I'm very interested in investing in your company. And I looked at his profile and, and he was some kid, you know? Yep. And um, and I'm like, okay, he probably, you know, he probably wants a job. But he was persistent. And then finally we had a Skype call and he said, listen, Mr. Nobre, my father really love your company and he wants to meet with you in Hong Kong. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And he said, well, I have something to tell you. And I said, what? He said, my father's Wu Sui Lin. Of course, Wu Sui Lin's one of the five richest men in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, all right, I'll be there. So I got a one-way plane ticket and a uh, 
thousand dollars in my pocket, and I flew to Hong Kong and met uh, with him, humblest guy you'll ever meet. And uh, two hours later, um, uh, I had two million in my pocket, and uh, with um, you know with the um, uh, agreement to fund the, the company further. Although at this point we actually would like to bring in other investors to diversify the the, the base. Right, that is a great that is a great story, and I'm sure that there's some entrepreneurs sitting around sitting around all over the world listening to this, going, "Why doesn't this happen to me?" <laughs> well, I, as soon as I finished that Skype call, because my son was in the room, and I looked at my son and I said, "Son, never judge a book by its cover." Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know who you're talking to, and, and you know, I think uh, you just gotta. Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing is though, you've it's it's the degree of conviction that you have and the belief you have in your project. Because uh, I had. Um, Tim Draper's a mate of mine, and as you know, Tim Draper's um, a major, major investor in a whole range of things. And he said to me, the most important thing when he's thinking about investing in someone is to be able to look at the look in the whites of their eyes and feel their passion and their commitment. He said that's far more important than somebody who's got the world's best idea that just doesn't have the fire in the belly. So. You know, it's your fire in the belly that's made this thing work, and uh, it, it's it's the fire in the belly that's taken you from that one room to to the success that you've got so far. And that's that's hard. That's a that's a deep seated commitment that that's hard. When you're broke, there's so many other things that you're worrying about. The other challenge that most entrepreneurs face is putting together a great team. Not only a great team, but a great team that really shares the entrepreneur's belief. I mean, if, if you've got a great team around you and they are in it for themselves or they don't believe as passionately as you do, then you'll probably fail. So you've got this great team around you. They work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They'll do whatever you ask them. What's the secret to molding that sort of a great team? Does that come from special forces? Is that something that you would have um, learnt during that period? Yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, uh, special forces on team, you know, it was a family. Um, and, you know, the family did anything for the family. I mean, and, you know, as I said, we we're mission-oriented. Um, the mission came first. Um you know, we have a motto in our company, uh, which sounds a little harsh, but it comes from special forces, which is carry the wounded, but shoot the stragglers. Right. And, um, yeah, you, there's going to be people that need a little help, you know, you know, getting their arms around or, you know, radically new ideas and, and, and ways of doing things. And that's okay. What you can have are people that simply will not buy into it. Yeah. And you have to weed those out quickly. And once you do that, you've got a team. You know, I refer to them as my alpha detachment. And, yeah. um, and, 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 you know, they are completely mission committed. Um, they're, it's funny, money never comes up. Um, they don't talk about it. They just talk about getting the mission done. And it's, um, I'm very proud, very honored to, to serve with them. And, uh, you know, we'll get, obviously the team will grow. But um, that that in essence is what we want to keep as our corporate culture. Because a team's only as strong as its weakest link, isn't it? If you've got a weak link in your chain, eventually 
probably sooner rather than later, it will break and fall apart. So, oh, there, yes, so yeah, it's an that, infection. Right. Yeah. So this the the team. How, how transparent is your um, leadership? I mean, are you 100%. totally transparent? 100%. Yeah, we have a we have a flat team structure. Um, you know, um, obviously, I can't communicate with everyone on every email, but um, everyone has complete twenty four seven access to me. Um, we share ideas openly. Uh, we're all open to criticism. Uh, you know, it's not my way or the highway. It's a collaborative effort, and you tend to get ultimately the best results of that. Now, ultimately, you have to make a decision, right? Um, you can't go around in circles, uh, you know, but, you know, that collaborative effort um, and being open to criticism, that's key. Um, and that's what this team has, and I really want to continue to foster that. That the insurance industry is, as I mentioned before, it's four point three trillion dollars a year. It's one of the biggest industries in the world, and it's remained unchanged for almost a century. Yeah, they're still selling the same um, products in the same way that they've been doing for fifty years. So, why is now the right time for disruption? Well, a couple of things. One, as I mentioned. You have a growing middle class in all, in all these markets uh, that has never had access to insurance. We now have the ability to deliver insurance products in ways that never could have been done even 10 years ago. Sure. Um, and, as, and all the smaller brokers, they see the writing on the wall. They do not have independently the, tech, the, the capital or, or even the technology wherewithal um, to do this. So... We are a consolidator. We're developing radically new technology. Um, we're working closely with Sitecore, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, and others um, to develop big data programs where we'll know everything about that consumer. We'll know where they're going, what they're buying, you know, when their birthday is, when their anniversary is, when they just had a new child, and we will be able to deliver insurance products to them instantaneously, uh, and that is um, how it should be done. And those products will be very unique. Um, I'll give a perfect example is in Brazil, um, auto insurance is mandatory, but only 20% of people actually have insurance. They can't afford it. Yeah. But you can create a temporary auto policy that gives them coverage for one month so they can go on that vacation to visit relatives in, you know, uh, you know, in um, Natal or wherever, and they have peace of mind, their family's safe, um, and it, it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The, um, yeah, technology's changed so dramatically that, it, you know, you can now deliver um, the right message at the right time and, um, and in a way that they want to receive it. You know, instead of relying on the old phone calls you can now um, contact people at exactly the time of purchase I was reading the other day that um, uh, we're going to have one beacon at retail for every 200 consumers in just 12 months so it makes a hell of a difference oh it's amazing it's absolutely amazing so 
uh, that's where we're at, and that's why we're moving as fast as we can to, um, to, to you know, capture this. And again, we will be the largest, you know, e-insurance company in the world, uh, and we will be in at least 12 countries. Right. Um, I've got to, I've got to mention this. Um, you've been very fortunate. Well, not fortunate. Probably great planning to have a um, di- director of innovation that is really quite exceptional. He's um, he's immense memory. He's got an IQ, I think, of 168. He's a real radical thinker. He was with Microsoft. Um, how did you secure somebody of that stature to be um, the technology guru at a time when everybody in the world's looking for the best technology people? Well, we, um, you know, we created a think tank <clears throat> and um, that think tank was done in Sao Paulo. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> and um, uh, we, brought, <clears throat> we invited the best of the best to come to that and he was one of them and uh, clearly he was a shining star. <clears throat> he, uh, he bought into what we were doing and yes, we're, um, you know, I get on my knees every day and I just say, you know, thank you for why in the world did, you know, this guy decide to come with us because he's absolutely brilliant, uh, extremely talented. Um, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. There's, there's just been a wonderful, uh, um, uh, you know, crazy change of events, uh, and, um, on top of that, this April, I'm actually getting engaged to uh, my uh, my girlfriend, who actually is a uh, um, a model for Victoria's Secret. So I think <laughs> life is definitely definitely taking a turn for the better. So, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> excuse me, I'm shaking off this cold too. Now, I think one of the other things that's a great credit is that um, apart from having this guy who is a, a leader worldwide in, in technology. You've, you have brought in people like Sitecore, which is one of the world's leading companies, Microsoft, Amazon, um, NEO4J, Montego, and, and working with location technology. I mean, you've, you've actually encompassing and bringing together some of the best technology in the world that the big legacy companies simply don't have oh it's a game changer Bob it's a game changer and we're going to you know with their help and support and and, and, um, and Edson's guidance Edson our chief chief innovation officer uh, we are going to create something that the world has never seen before and uh, you know that will make us literally um, you know not to sound you know overly confident but really kind of a Google of insurance and uh, um, legacy insurance companies, they talk a lot about it, but really, they haven't really changed their models at all. Well, if you have a look, actually, history will tell you a great lesson and a a great omen for um, CQS. In all of the areas that have been uh, disrupted over the last 10 years, and there's probably 50 different industries that have been disrupted, not one legacy company has managed to lead the pack. It's been the e-commerce companies that have come out and, and been the successes, and the legacy companies have fallen by the wayside. And, you know, CQS is really an e-commerce company 
that's selling insurance, not an insurance company that has a little bit of technology tacked on the back because that simply doesn't work. Um, so what does this technology mean for the consumer of tomorrow? Uh, does it mean cheaper insurance? Does it, I know it's going to be more, more available, but what does it mean um, for that consumer who may not have been able to afford or cannot afford insurance today? Well, it's going to be, it is going to be cheaper insurance, but more importantly, it's going to be insurance that are, that is, um, that is created or modeled to fit their specific needs at their, at, at the specific time. So it's customized. Uh, one of, it's completely customized. Perfect example, uh, which gets and shared with us, you know, Rio de Janeiro, of course, Carnival's coming up and, uh, which is fantastic. But, you know, 500 people a month get killed in Rio. It's a dangerous city. Jeez. We can actually target all the people in Rio and send them out a blast tax and say, listen, we can sell you a 48-hour, 72-hour life insurance policy right. or, you know, medical policy. Um, you can buy it right now uh, because these are the reasons you probably should. And boom. Uh, so that's the kind of thing we can do. That's fantastic. That really is fantastic. Now, the rest of 2016, uh, 2015, you're focusing on um, on Mexico, Colombia, Peru. Um, when are you going into Asia? Uh, the last quarter of uh, 2015, uh, and most likely we will start with Thailand or Malaysia. Uh, Thailand, are, I think, for Southeast Asia, is going to be our big prize. Right. Uh, and then, of course finishing up in China exactly China is that's the end game for us wow um, now the company's grown from being worth zero four months ago to around 170 million today I find that extraordinary jeez <laughs> um, I think every entrepreneur around would be really envious of those sort of results can you maintain this rate of growth we can. I mean, the, the key is acquiring um, um, prominent brokers because the, the, that's 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 tangible. Um, that's real revenues. That's real EBITDA, real customer base. We're not even actually um, calculating our IP into this formula yet. So that's just raw acquisitions, uh, which we will continue to make in each country. Now, once we really build this next generation technology. Um, the valuation will, will radically or dramatically increase because our customer base and database will start to exponentially grow. Uh, you know, so it would not be unplausible within a year and a half to have six million customers. Right. And if you look at a, uh, you know, simple formula, each customer has a, let's say, an average value of premiums of thousand dollars a year. Right. And and if you're ultra conservative, you say you're going to keep that customer for three years, so that's $3,000, and then just take 3,000 times 6 million, and oh, you'll have right. a pretty nice number. Yeah, you've got a very nice number. Of course, the huge opportunity for you um, is that you're acquiring brokers that essentially um, in emerging markets are one product brokers. They have 
they focus on auto insurance or they focus on something. Um, now, with with the big um, data and analysis and predictive um, analysis and also the, the um, location technology that you guys are building, um, you can then, instead of just selling them auto insurance, you can sell them all the rest of the insurances. So every one of those customers, you can expand their... Um, their spend with you probably four or five times. Well, that's right. That's the slow fat rabbit. Um, so, you know, the um, by acquiring these, we immediately have that customer base and we can immediately start cross-selling, up-selling, yep. not to mention just simple lead generation, which, which these customers, these agents have never even, you know, they're still using uh, telephone directories and, uh, you know, lead lists. I mean, it's, it's just really primitive. <laughs> yeah. Now, just, I've spoken to you before about this, but one of the things that you are absolutely dedicated to is fantastic customer service. Um, and, of course, that builds word of mouth and that builds your customer base. Correct. Correct. And customer service, not that it's great in the United States, but um, it's horrible in most emerging markets. It doesn't exist. Right. So we're, we're going we're gonna to turn that model upside down um, and I think we're just going to get excellent results as, uh, you know, because, as, because of that. Obviously to continue this growth you need capital. Are you currently actively seeking capital? We're just seeking a small amount. Um, the way we're doing our acquisitions is very prudent. We typically put 20% down at closing, spread out the payments over 18 or 24 months. Uh, which allows us to actually draw on EBITDA from those companies. Right. So we're doing a, we're raising nine million to ten million dollars right now. Um, we'll probably do a much larger raise this summer once our valuation has increased significantly. You know, we'll probably raise fifty to hundred million at that point in time. But nine to ten million will get us to where we need to be uh, for over the next few months. And of course, our valuation will have, you know, will increase significantly during that time. And that's when we do a much larger A round. William, thank you very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. Now, if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about William and this powerhouse of a startup, or you'd like to invest, go to cqsin.com. That's cqsin.com. And on the website, um, I had a look. There's a great deck that is restricted to potential investors, but gives you a peek at the extraordinary technology that CQS International is developing. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to the bob pritchard radio show to connect with bob please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com that's bob at bobpritchard.com now back to the show Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business show. 
coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles where the weather has been magnificent, 86 degrees today. The rest of the country's freezing to death. That's a great interview, isn't it, with William Nebrega? Um, it's really a success story and it's a great business model. Moving into a country and acquiring database revenue and EBITDA which then gives you the platform on which to build the rest of your business is a great business model. And uh, I expect that I'll get quite a number of emails during the week. I've had a couple of emails already tonight, but um, I suggest that I'll get a few more and I'll address those in the email section next week. Um, So this is a segment of the show. We bring you emails from our listeners all over the world. And my first email today... In fact, my only email today, because we're going to run out of time, is from Alexander Snow, speaking of cold, of Hammersmith in London. I have great fond memories of Hammersmith. Um, When I was consulting with Coca-Cola a number of years ago, I spent many, many days at the Coke offices and enjoying counter lunches and dinners at the Edwards, I think I'm sure it was the Edwards Bar, which is right near Hammersmith Station. And uh, they bring back great memories. So thanks for that, um, Alexander. Every time I drive that freeway going into London, I, I, I think of those uh, Coca-Cola days. Um, Alexander writes, Dear Bob, myself and a couple of my mates from college are setting up a new business and we're going to need to raise startup funding. Can you give us some tips on the best way to go about it? Um, well, Alexander, there are essentially five popular funding options for entrepreneurs. And, you know, without funding, you really can't go anywhere. I mean, um, it's very difficult these days to, um, to differentiate your product and to um, get yourself exposure. There's so much clutter out there um, without money. And uh, a lot of people bootstrap it. But that's, um, you know, that's risky. You're always better to um, use OPM if you can, I think, other people's money, unless you've got plenty of money and can afford to do it. But um, for many entrepreneurs, the decision about whether or not now is the right time to start a business comes down to funding. You may have a wonderful business idea that you've perfected, But if you don't have funding in place to not only make the business happen, but to protect just the just the legal fees in protecting a lot of these things, you can you can get lawyers to um, um, accept some equity instead of fees. But nevertheless, it does cost you money for legal fees for IP protection, etc. You you can save the fees, but you can save the lawyers' costs, but. You can't save the fees. So it's important to analyse each type of funding opportunity so that you make sure you're starting your business off on the right foot. One wrong move when it comes to finances and bingo, you could be back to square one or even worse. So the best five and most popular options for funding of startup are, and the first one these days is crowdfunding. Um, platforms like um Kickstarter or Indiegogo, a great example. They're websites where you can create a crowdfunding campaign. 
the way it works is that anyone can contribute money towards helping a business that they that they like. They look see it on on um, Kickstarter, or Indiegogo. They like it, so they and there's a detailed description of the business on a platform and goals of the business and financial strategies and the target audience and how much funding they need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then um, the consumers can give money if they want. And generally, those giving money look to earn some type of reward. Um, which could be anything from a free notepad to a free iPod to whatever it is. Keep in mind, though, that although crowdfunding campaigns may be trendy, the majority of campaigns also go unfunded. It's a competitive place to get funding, so you need to seed it to get noticed, and you need to have a great story with a video. The second option for an entrepreneur is through Venture Capitalist, a venture capitalist professional group that funds startups. Um, this option has a lot of money available to offer startups and plenty of resources to actually help your business succeed. For many, venture capitalists would be the ideal funding situation. Another option is to look for an angel investor. Angel investors are like capital venture capitalists, but they are smaller operations and want a larger portion of your company. And uh, when you make money, they make a lot of money. So 49%'s not unheard of with an angel investor. The fourth option is to raise capital through a small business loan, but that's always difficult. When you go to a bank, you have to be able to present how every penny of the loan will be spent, and uh, it's very difficult. Often you need to have plenty of money before you can get any money. And the fifth option is through credit cards. This is what I did when I first came to America. And if you've got an excellent credit history, you might be able to use that, but don't go over the deep end only borrow what you can comfortably cover. Otherwise, you can find yourself in trouble. I must admit, I, I borrowed about 150000 bucks on my credit cards, and uh, it paid off for me, but it took longer than I thought, and it would have only needed a mistake or two, and I could have well and truly been in deep trouble. So think twice before you do that. Alexander, thanks for your email. A copy of my latest book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. It's on its way to you in Hammersmith and go across to the pub and have a counter lunch for me. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is on its way out to people, I think, as we speak. Send in your questions, email me at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. So we're confident this is going to be a fantastic year for everyone in business and the perfect time to commence your entrepreneurial activities. So thanks for listening to Bob Pritchard, no bullshit business radio show for entrepreneurs. And remember, it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And it's a bloody sight more fun. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope that you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.